0: Again, back to 2016, this time to hear from Michael Soup of the band, The Ozark Mountain Daredevils, on DaleWileyShow.com. Glad to have Soup Granda with us. Um, Soup has been in a musical figure for a number of years, starting with The Ozark Mountain Daredevils and then working with a number of other bands and as a. As a songwriter as well, and now in Nashville, and and welcome aboard, Sue. What's going on?
1: Ah, man, I'm doing good. Dale, how are you doing, buddy? Well, I'm, I'm doing good. <laughs> is it a
0: little warmer there in uh, in Nashville than it is in Missouri?
1: Well, a little, but not a lot. <laughs> you know, the, the the good thing is is uh, you can always add about five degrees to the Missouri temperature, which is nice here in the winter time. But in the summer, when you have you know 98 degrees we got over 100 so there's, there's a little trade-off but i'll take it i'll you know i'll take it yeah,
0: especially right now i'm sure um yep.
1: Yep.
0: so um so soup you know the um i've been doing these podcasts and and i i generally kind of talk to people about you know where they gained their interest in music to start with. So. Can you tell me a little bit about what you know? What brought you to the point that you started to do this for a living?
1: Yep, I sure can, Dale. Well, when I was a little kid, uh, there was always music in my house, in my family's house.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So none of though none of my family members were musical. My father had a stereo, and he had a very extensive record collection. So there was always music in the house. Now, his his uh, musical taste ranged from, oh, Frank Sinatra to, you know, Tony Bennett. Uh-huh. And that was fine until my uncle, my crazy uncle, brought over some Fats Domino and <laughs> Little Richard records. Right. I found those to be much more to my liking than Mel Torme. Right. So I borrowed my uncle's Little Richard records. And uh, Professor Longhair and Fats Domino. That's what I listened to incessantly. And when I was young, uh, the sillier the song, the more I liked it. <laughs> I, I fell in love with the Purple People Eater. Uh huh. I fell in love with Rubber Biscuit. You know, I fell in love with uh, uh, Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weenie Yellow Polka Dot Bikini. Uh huh. That's the kind of stuff that I liked when right. I was younger. Now, I was listening to these Little Richard records, and then along came the Beatles. The Beatles were would cover Little Richard songs and Chuck Berry songs and you know those old rock and roll songs. Right. went, hey, wait a minute! Here's four kids playing this music. I I think I can do that too. Hmm. So I went to the store, my friend and I, and we went and bought us a, a Beatle chord book. We learned all the chords in the Beatle book, and we could play Love Me Do, and we could play Long Tall Sally, and we could play, uh, you know, I Want to Hold Your Hand, because the chords are on the page. Right. And when I first did that, Dale, I got bit, like I got bit by a brown recluse spider, and it just went into my blood and I couldn't get rock and roll out of my blood mm-hmm. and I'm 65 years old now and I still can't get it out
0: <laughs> well and um, those chords in the Beatles songs were, I mean if, if you could learn them you could learn anything
1: because Those, yeah. Are, well see uh, it, it was the same thing you know, if they were playing the same they were, they were playing those Little Richard songs I'm yeah. Going, hey, wait a minute. Here's a little Richard record. Here's the Beatles. Wait a minute. I can figure this out. You know, <laughs> this isn't rocket surgery. Right. I can I can <laughs> figure this out. So I went and got a guitar and a Beatle book, and just started. Wow. So I I started basically just for fun because it was fun. Right. You know, I couldn't wait to get off of school and I couldn't wait to get home and pick up that guitar and start playing. Um, you know. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> now, this and was in it, St. Louis, correct? This
1: was in St. Louis. I grew up in St. Louis. Right. And I lived in St. Louis till
0: 1969.
1: Uh-huh. Uh which is when I graduated from high school and moved to Springfield, Missouri. All right. Which is where I met the rest of the guys in the uh uh in the Daredevils. Uh-huh. And I lived in Springfield, Missouri for 22 years until I moved to Nashville in 1991 and I've been down here for 25 years.
0: Wow. Yeah. When you, um, (laughs) tell me, that, was there any kind of, in 1969, when you're talking about moving to Springfield, was there any sense of the Ozark Jubilee or any of that stuff still going on? I mean, was that around or or what was the musical climate when you got there?
1: Musical climate was as such, when I growing up in St. Louis, I had no idea about the Ozark Jubilee. Sure. I had no idea about the Grand Ole Opry. My family didn't listen to the Grand Ole Opry. My family listened to Mel Tarmé and Frank Sinatra and the Benny Goodman Band. Uh huh. So I had zero idea about that, Dale. When I moved to Springfield all of a sudden i started running into all of these musicians and they were fantastic musicians now when the ozark jubilee packed up their tent and i guess moved to nashville right there were a lot of pe- people there are a lot of beautiful musicians in the ozarks who played on the ozark jubilee who said hey wait a minute we're not leaving right look look at look at the look at this Clear water, clean air, beautiful hills, fishing. You know, we've got it all right here. We're not moving to Nashville. Right. So they stayed in the Ozarks, and they remained magnificent, beautiful musicians. Uh-huh. When I moved to Springfield, I started running into these guys. And I started going, hey, wait a minute. These guys are Fabulous musicians. Right. And then at that point is when I started to accrue a knowledge and a love for country music. Right. And it was because of those old Ozark Jubilee guys who didn't want to leave the Ozarks.
0: Who were some of your favorites of those guys?
1: Oh, oh Lord. There were just so many of them down there. Uh you know, and you can find a lot of 'em a lot of' them moved to Branson, oh yeah, see oh
2: absolutely,
1: so you know, and I found a lot of rock and roll guys playing in Springfield, a lot of country guys playing in Branson i right. i was just I was just in heaven, I didn't really have any um real desire to go to college except to stay out of Vietnam at the time nineteen sixty nine you know, getting up at 8 in the morning and going to psychology class wasn't <laughs> my real cup of tea. Right. But staying up all night and playing guitar and drinking beer was my cup of tea.
2: All right. <laughs> so
1: so I got down there, and then, I, and then at that point I ran into, uh, uh, you know, the rest of the guys in the Daredevils. And they, they would say, well, let's started working up songs and they were country songs uh-huh. i was going hey wait a minute i love this and so i when i started playing bass with the country for playing country songs i was going man this is wonderful and it opened right. up a whole new world to me which hadn't been opened when i was a young kid growing up in st louis i was a rock and roll guy you know <laughs> and so um uh, and um so i came to the party a little bit late but boy, I sure do like to party. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, by the time by the time sixty nine rolls around, I mean there are some rockers that, that are experimenting with country too. I mean, you know, there's well, correct, you know, Dylan and the Birds and, and all those things. So, correct. I mean, were, were you guys listening to that stuff, or um, what was kind of influencing your um, the direction of where you guys were going musically?
1: Yeah, well, well there was that of course, you know, the birds and, you know, and and Bob Dylan. Right. Uh but and then but also uh I I got turned on to, you know, um you know, uh, you know, Johnny Cash, Hank Williams, Ernest Tubb. Oh yeah. You know, you know, and then and then there's the whole bluegrass world. Right. So I got turned on to that. I couldn't get enough of it, you know. Uh-huh. But I came in instead of growing up in the country music world, I came in and I got introduced to it. Well, like you said, Dale, with, with the Sweetheart of the Rodeo album. You know?
2: Oh,
0: yeah.
1: What a beautiful record that is. You oh, know? Yeah. The Flying Burrito Brothers. Yeah,
0: Stone Country albums, too. There's not very much rock and roll in those things at all.
1: There. Yeah, exactly. You know?
0: Country records, yeah.
1: And, and so, uh, you know, I just... I just found a whole other group of colors to put on my palette that I could paint with, you know. Right. And I loved it, and I still love it.
0: Oh, absolutely! I, although the the modern country stuff is is definitely taking a turn from the. Um, I, I don't think Ernest Tubb would recognize much of it.
1: <laughs> no, he he sure wouldn't, and <laughs> and uh, I don't recognize much of it either. It's it's just you know it's just cheese whiz, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no it's just kidding. a bunch of
1: business guys selling Cheese Whiz to you know Americans who watch right. a lot of TV,
0: and like Cheese Whiz, yeah.
1: Yeah, and like Cheese Whiz, <laughs> right? Exactly. I myself so, don't like Cheese Whiz, so I don't <laughs> pay much attention to it. I couldn't tell you the difference between, uh, you know, any of those guys. Any of those guys named Luke,
2: right? You know,
1: <laughs> you know they're all named Luke and Keith and uh, uh, Dirks. And, and Darius, I don't, I couldn't tell the difference between them, you know. Now when we Vince like, Gill comes on and sings,
2: uh-huh.
1: I I can I, I recognize Vince Gill.
2: There you go.
1: <laughs> but when, when when it gets into all those other, you know, that I, no, I ain't got time for it. And I'm too old to try to understand it, so I just <laughs> let it lay by the side of the road, and I just go on down the road.
0: Well, so tell me a little bit about. Um, uh, you know, a couple of years later. I, I mean, it looks like that's about what about seventy one is when you guys start to play together under Correct. various
1: names. Correct.
0: And tell me, wh- how how did that start?
1: Well, uh, yeah, it, it, this is a this is a nice story. Uh, uh-huh. When I went to a school in Springfield, nineteen sixty nine, I went down there, and like I said, I wasn't that interested in school, but I was very interested in music. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm surrounded by all of these beautiful musicians. And I'm just going, man, this guy's great, and that guy's even greater, and this guy's <laughs> really good, too. And I'm going, wait a minute. So there were there were half a dozen of us, and we were songwriters. And we knew that we could go out and make a whole lot of money if we went out and just became another cover band playing, you know, Doobie Brothers songs and you know and that and three dog night covers. Sure. But because we were writing our own songs, we decided to get together and just play nothing but our material. Okay. So we all got together at the new Bijou Theater, which is set up there on a East Trafficway, Chestnut Expressway. Uh-huh. Up in up in a, Uh, East Nashville I mean East Springfield Um, And we just started playing Nothing but our own songs Okay We would sit there and go Hey wait a minute These are pretty good songs Right Right? These are Every 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 Bit as good As You know Any of the other songs out there Right So I'd say we would get together Oh Once or twice a week Just for the specific purpose of Playing Our songs I'll play your song if you play my song. Right. And, and we'll play his song if he plays our song. And right. And they'll play my song if I play their... So it was we got together basically more as a songwriters collective than as a band. Right. Now, we had all these songwriters and all of these songs... And then we decided to uh, get together one evening and play them for our friends. At that point, we became a band. Uh-huh. As soon as we started playing these songs we've been working up, as soon as we started playing them for the public, we became a band. And then we had to get a name. And then we had to get uh, some gigs. Then we had to get a manager. Then we had to get a a, a van. Then we had to drive around and play <laughs> gigs. But... uh we loved every minute of it.
0: Now, was was Family Tree the main name back yes. then? Yes. Okay.
1: Uh, the, when we got together, the first name we decided on was Family Tree. We were Family Tree for, oh, Lord, a year and a half, a couple of years maybe, wow. until we got the record contract. Uh-huh. When we got the record contract, we had to change the name because there was already a band in New England called Family Tree. Uh-huh. They had the song. They had the, the name copy written, and we had to change it. So we went through the the agony of <laughs> trying to find a new band name. So we were contemplating calling ourselves the Undercover Overalls. <laughs> we thought about uh, Buffalo Chips. <laughs> we thought about uh, you know yeah you know there were just a thousand crazy names until one evening. Uh, somebody came up with the name. He says, "Oh, what about a cor- a, a Cosmic Corn Cob and <laughs> his Amazing Ozark Mountain Daredevils?"
2: Uh
0: huh.
1: Now that was funny. We all laughed, and we said, "Well, nobody wanted to step up and be the front man, right?" And be Cosmic Corn Cob. So we dropped that. Uh huh. Then we just became the Amazing Ozark Mountain Daredevils, and because there was a band called the Amazing Rhythm Aces, right. We had to drop the word amazing. Right. That left us with the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. Uh, There you go. There you go.
0: (laughs) All these years later and and you're still there.
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, man, we're a lucky bunch of fellas, buddy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so um, how did John Hammond get involved with all of this?
1: John Hammond. The, the the guy who the man who ran the New Bijou Theater was a friend of ours by the name of Steve Canaday.
2: Uh-huh. Uh huh.
1: When the New Bijou Theater burned down, Steve Canaday went moved to New Jersey, okay. and he took a, a, one of our tapes with him. We made a couple tapes. And one morning he just got up and says, I'm gonna go into New York City and I'm gonna go find John Hammond I'm <laughs> and I'm I mean he was this kind of, he was that kind of guy, Dale. He would get up and say, I'm gonna do this and by God he did that, you know. Wow. So he got up one morning and says, I'm gonna go into New York and find John Hammond and play him this tape and got his way into John Hammond's office. And played him a couple songs. And John Hammond, he said, John Hammond turned around real slow and said, man, I really like this. Wow. Uh, t- give, me the, give me their number and I'll contact them. Uh-huh. So about two weeks later, he contacted us. Uh-huh. And sent down a producer uh-huh. by the name of Michael Sunday.
0: Did you have We're a tr- sense of who John Hammond was at that time Did you guys oh God feel yes,
1: yes. Okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was you know he just you know he discovered everybody, oh
0: yeah, from all the way back, I mean yeah, from all the way back yeah, I
1: mean, yeah, way back.
0: yeah.
1: so uh, he sent down a producer and they and he made a demo,
0: uh-huh.
1: and um, they took the demo back to New York, and this guy passed on us, okay, Now, because he passed on us, we had a free demo.
0: Right, right.
1: See? So John Hammond, I don't know if he ever heard the demo, our, our tape or not, but uh, Michael Sunday passed on us, and we had that demo tape, and that's the very same demo tape that we took to A&M Records in Los Angeles. When we took it to A&M, there's a gentleman out there by the name of David Anderley. Uh-huh. David Anderley heard the tape and said, "Oh, I like this right," and immediately signed us. Wow, so it was well, john ham we- it was John Hammond's original demo that got us our deal at a and m with David Anderley.
0: Do you have any idea what songs it was that was on that demo?
1: Oh yeah, the first album,
0: the whole first album, wow,
1: yeah, except. Except if you want to get to heaven. Uh-huh. Because, and Jackie Blue, our two biggest hits, hadn't been written yet. Right. See, this is the very beginning. So, oh yeah, Black Sky, Country Girl, right. Spaceship Orion,
2: uh-huh.
1: Standing on a Rock, Chicken Train. That well, was the original demo tape we that was the original tape that New York passed on,
0: um,
1: but Los Angeles didn't.
0: And so Anderle, um, I mean, I, were they just trying – I mean, the, the Eagles by this time had had a little bit of success, right? I mean, was, was that what they were looking for as just kind of the Midwest Eagles, or what would be the best way to say their thoughts so, about it?
1: This is the best way to say that. David and Anderley heard the tape. And he was very good friends with Glenn Johns.
0: Right. Uh
1: And as you know, Glenn Johns had just done the first Eagles record. Right. Uh, So the two of them were looking for a project to do together. David heard our demo tape and called Glenn and said, Glenn, I found the band that the two of us can produce together. Uh He had done the Eagles, but the Eagles were and they still are a little too slick.
2: uh-huh, A
1: little too LA, a little bit too <laughs> chrome plated. Uh-huh. They were looking for something a little funkier.
2: Well so they they does <laughs> you know?
1: I mean you can you can sit out in Los Angeles and make all of those Eagles records with all of those Eagles guys. You know, um oh. you know J. D. Souther and You know, and and Jackson Brown and uh, Linda Ronstadt. And 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 they all make the same record over and over and over. (laughs) So Glenn and and David want something a little bit funkier. So they came a little bit more American.
0: Uh
1: So they came to the Midwest and they recorded us.
0: Wow. Why did they decide to do it in England?
1: Because that's where Glenn's home studio was.
0: Okay, because Glenn was also involved in some of the Stones records and I mean he was he was involved prior to the Eagles. I mean he had done Oh some god.
1: Other things. Well he yeah. yeah, he did the Kinks.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: He did the Kinks and the Who and the Stones. And uh his home studio I guess it wasn't his home studio, but his basic studio that he liked to work at all the time was Olympic. Studios in okay. London, uh-huh. and whenever he he'd go in and he'd he'd block out a month in the studio. That's where he produced *Beggars Banquet*.
2: Wow. <laughs>
1: that's where he produced *Who's Next*. Right. That's where he produced those Kinks records, and, and that's where he did the Eagles record. Was Olympic Studio. Uh huh. Now he he took us there for two reasons. Number one, that was his favorite studio. He was very well acquainted with the studio, and he felt more, he felt most comfortable working there. Right. So we flew over there. Now the second reason is he wanted to get us out of our comfort zone. Okay. He wanted to get us out of Springfield, so we didn't have you know so you know Tiny and Tony didn't stop by. Right. Let's go see the band. Oh, I got—I have got to leave today. I got to take, you know, I got—I got to take my sister to the doctor. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so we went to London to eliminate all of those distractions.
0: Uh-huh. What was that? What was London like at that time? Give me a sense of what that was like.
1: Well, uh, early seventies. Um, when we walked in the studio, we work in Studio A. Studio B was Badfinger. Okay. So when you go to the, uh, you know, the smoking lounge or the, you know, the lounge of the studio, you're sitting around with the guys in Badfinger. Wow. You know, um, at the time, Humble Pie was another band. Oh yeah. So you know, you go into the studio, you you you, you know, drink coffee and smoke cigarettes with the guys in Humble Pie. Wow. Now, because Olympic was such a rock and roll studio, there were a whole lot of rock and roll guys in there all the time. Uh-huh. You know, Townsend comes, stops by. Wow. You know, Townsend stops by to pick up a tape
2: sticks
1: <laughs> and sticks his head in the door and says, "Hello, Glenn." Hey, Pete. <laughs> and he leaves. Wow. So that's what uh, it was. A it was. A, how do I say a... it was kind of like the the flame and all the musicians were the moths and everybody uh, kind of gathered right there in olympic and we were in in the studio recording chicken train <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: well and 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 probably feeling pretty out of everyone's element or was that something that was quite easily adapted to i mean what was it like being from you know those uh, the guys, I mean, this was a different world that wasn't quite as universal as it is now. What was it like, kind of making that adjustment?
1: Well, it was easy, just for the just for the sole reason that we were there to make a record. Uh huh. I mean, I mean, there was there wasn't a whole lot of time to just go out and you know carouse around London. We'd get up in the day, and we'd go and work. And we'd have uh we'd have our supper, and then we'd work into the night, and then at the end of the session, you know we were beat, yeah, so we'd go home, go to sleep, wake up the next day, and
0: start it all over,
1: start all over I mean we weren't out getting drunk with Pete Townsend <laughs> you, know? you know, so we were pretty focused, and because we were a group of songwriters who were recording our songs, we were very focused.
2: Uh-huh.
1: On the music, and very unfocused on any of the tomfoolery. Wow,
0: that's quite a uh, that's quite a thought for nineteen. What was that? Seventy two? Was that
1: when that? Uh, was yeah, seventy three. I think seventy three. Yeah.
0: And so by that time, um, if you want to go to heaven, had been written.
1: Correct. And
0: um, and so when you come home and and the album comes out, at what? What was that like at that
1: time? Oh, it was, it was magnificent.
2: <laughs>
1: I mean, good Lord! I mean, in our hometown, you can go to the record store and there's an there's a bin of our records, you know. Yeah. And our records were always sandwiched in between Ozzy Osbourne and Donnie Osmond. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it, it it was it was a dream come true, buddy.
0: Oh, absolutely! It was a
1: dream come true. And when the record came out, now another thing is, you know, we were just a bunch of twenty-four-year-old kids. Right. You know. Oh yeah. So I mean, it, I mean for a bunch of twenty-four-year-old kids to have an album out, that was pretty pretty cool, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, when, but then the the song that that probably uh, is is most recognized with you was actually not on that album, but on the the following album.
2: Correct, uh, Jackie.
0: Jackie uh huh. Yeah. And and that is, uh, you know, I mean, you can listen to that. It's still just a beautiful, beautiful melodic song that you know. I mean, I never get tired of. I mean, it it it's just always good.
1: That's correct. Uh, That was, uh, you know, one of the, like I said, one of the songwriters was Larry Lee, right. And he had that, he had that knack for writing those kinds of songs. Uh huh. And you know, to be honest with you, I think you know, Jackie Blue is a nice song, but I think he has two or three other songs that are even better. Well, which one? But they weren't hit. Right. I mean,
0: that's just a great pop record I mean it, it's Correct. all that's the, a
1: good record to, but uh yeah, yeah we just re- recorded it we weren't even considering it and because it's so atypical of our sound right you know but that was Larry's um element that was Larry's contribution to our sound and we recorded it right right in between two other you know rock and roll and country songs and
0: <laughs> it just
1: happened to take off and be a hit for us and you know, none of us were complaining.
0: Right, absolutely, number three. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's pretty... Do you remember what else was on the charts when it hit its apex? Oh, yeah.
1: oh yes. <laughs> I, I remember when it was climbing up the charts, the songs it was uh, competing with was uh, uh, Philadelphia Freedom by Elton uh-huh. John. Right. Thank God I'm a Country Boy. <laughs> and... Uh, Hey, won't you play another "Somebody Done Somebody Wrong" song?
0: Absolutely.
1: Those were the songs. Oh, and Chevy Van.
0: Oh wow.
1: Yeah, those were the songs that were all kind of jockeying for top, the top position
0: uh-huh.
1: at that at that specific time. Wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I mean. Obviously, you guys have have all, I mean, your band is unique in that, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of people have been through it, but, you know, everyone is kind of a collective, I mean, it was a collective of songwriters. I mean, that's a good way to say that. I mean, there were yes. just many, very many people involved. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when, how does that, I, I mean, does that create any kind of um, tension in that, there's nobody that's just wanting to play the songs. They want to, um, they want to have their song on there. I mean, how does that change how you guys work?
1: Well, that's a tension that's in any band, you know, right? That's uh-huh. kind of that. You know, as an example, you know Creedence Clearwater Revival. I mean, Fogarty, you know, wrote all the songs. He made all the money. Those other guys were just kind of driving, you know, Subarus.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you know, well, I'm not sure Fogarty got all the money he made, but yeah, definitely I mean Correct.
1: He, well yeah, and you know, and so you know, you do get some competition. That's why we didn't produce ourselves. Okay. We always hired a producer to come in and say, This song, this song, and this song. You know, and he was his job was a producer. And he picked the material. But when you get, you know, five, six songwriters in a room, oh, there's going to be some competition. Sure. There's going to be some bantering about. But, um, you know, it it never really got, there were never any really, we never really got to shouting matches. (laughs) You know, there was never any lawsuits and uh, backstabbing. There was none of right. that. You know, well, that's good. Because we knew that everyone in the end would be compensated,
0: which right. we would work. Right. Now, you actually wrote a book about the Ozark Brown and Daredevils.
1: Yep, yep. I sat down uh, whew, about ten years ago. I said, well, if I don't write this book, it's not going to get written. Uh-huh. And you know, I, I like books like that. You know, I like Keith
2: sure, Smith. absolutely.
1: You know, I've I've always liked those kind of books. You know, so I just kind of sat down and started writing, and it took me four and a half years, but um, I, uh, I finished. The book is entitled "It Shined," right. Um, the Saga of the Ozark Mountain Daredevils, and I wanted to make it. I wanted to be put on history shelves. As much as the music shelves, because it's it's American history. I mean, right. we're a very American band. You know, we didn't come from New York. Right. We didn't come from L.A. We didn't come from London.
2: <laughs>
1: we came from Springfield, Missouri, and continued to live in Springfield, Missouri. So I wanted it to be you know kind of just about a bit of American history. Right. Now it took me a long time to write it. Uh I bet I researched it for six months because I wanted all of the facts to be correct. Sure. You know. So right. the book is, is uh factually correct, but I wanted to write it in an entertaining style because I didn't want it to you know you know I didn't want it to come off like an encyclopedia. Right. So I wanted it to be informative and entertaining at the same time, and uh, yeah, so it took me a long time to do it, and I'm really, really glad I did it. And hundreds and hundreds of people have come out of the woodwork to thank me for writing it, uh-huh. just because you know, you know, people are people are interested in it. You know, we had a lot of fans. We still have a lot of fans.
2: Oh yeah. And,
1: and they wanted to they wanted to know about. Those recording sessions. They wanted to know about the tours and all the people we met and worked with. You know?
0: Well, and and actually, when when we get this interview up, I will also put uh, a link to the Amazon site and to your site if people do want to buy that.
1: Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Put it right to my site. You know. They can. Yeah. They can write to me directly, brother.
0: <laughs>
1: and I'll go into this other room up here. And I'll package up the book and take it to the post office myself.
0: And it it will be a lot cheaper to do that. Although if they do want an ebook of that, uh, they they could get that through Amazon as
1: well. Yes, I you can. Yeah. E- now the <laughs> ebook you'll have to go through uh, AuthorHouse. Okay. Authorhouse dot com and Amazon. You, if you want the ebook, uh-huh. yeah, just just write me. Just write to me. I'll send you one.
0: <laughs> now, of course, soup. You you moved to Nashville to kind of um, work as a songwriter. Correct. And so, uh, I, I know that one of the things I remember um, that was was kind of a really neat deal is you wrote a song that that Chet Atkins ended up um, yes uh, doing. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, um, years ago. My partner, my songwriting partner, Mark Denny, and I um, wrote a song called Ode to Mel Bay. Uh Mel Bay, I grew up in the shadow of the Mel Bay Music Store. Right. uh, South St. Louis County. Uh Uh-huh. When I was young, I would go and buy guitar picks and guitar strings and instruction books from Mel Bay. Right. Now, we wrote the song. And I brought it down to Nashville, along with a whole other box of songs. But um, I I thought somebody down here would want to pay tribute to Mel Bay. Right. You know, so I pitched it around Nashville, down around Music Row. See, but back then there was, you know, there was a lot of bad country music back then too. You know, (laughs) (laughs) just as there is today. Sure. And there were a lot of guys in hats and, you know, a lot of guys named Luke and, you know, that kind of Clint. Right. (laughs) Nobody would touch it. They would say, oh, yeah, that's really cute. That's really clever, Soup. But we're looking for relationship songs. Sure. Do you have any relationship songs? And I would just go, no, I I don't really have any relationship songs. (laughs) So I pitched it around town for about a year, and then I got discouraged and quit pitching it. Uh-huh. Now, I had a band, Soup and the Sandwiches, and we played the song.
2: Uh-huh. We
1: played it every night, and the crowd would go nuts. After one night, a gentleman by the name of John Burns walked up to me, introduced himself, and said, Do you have Ode to Bay on tape? I said, Yes, I do. And I handed him a copy. John Burns is the son of Jethro Burns.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> One of the John great Burns. Traditions. John Burns
1: great says traditions. to me, My Uncle Chet is going to love this song
2: because
1: <laughs> Chet Atkins did so much work with Mel Bay putting out guitar books. Right. So, John Burns took the song, I guess, to a family barbecue. And played it for his uncle Chet. Wow! Uncle Chet loved it and recorded it.
2: Wow! That's basically
1: how how, how it went down.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and and Jethro Burns was a part of Homer and Jethro.
1: Homer and Jethro, it's exactly mm-hmm. right. Who I also love, and Ode to Mel Bay is written. In the style of Homer and Jethro (laughs) because my friend Howie and I loved Homer and Jethro and we actually kind of became Homer and Jethro
0: (laughs) well Jethro his mandolin playing is uh, I mean that's just some of the best music I've ever heard
1: they are magnificent musicians
0: oh yeah besides being hilariously funny Oh, yes. And and so, you know, it, it always seemed to me like they, they kind of gave short shrift to how much, you know, how great their music was. I mean, I, I know that some people never took it seriously just because they didn't write those relationship songs, but they wrote about the Battle of Cucamonga and all that. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. and like I said, now this goes back to a, the beginning of our conversation. When I said I was more affected by the purple people eater.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Than I was with, you know, your love is an ocean that crosses the, you know, emotions of my mind, you know. <laughs> I didn't like, I still don't like any of that sappy stuff. Uh-huh. You know?
0: Right. <laughs> so so the Battle of Cucamonga was on your early playlist. Is oh, old gosh, today. yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that's great. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, I mean, you've you've written about other things. I mean, you've you've made a, a a wonderful career out of this. What are some things that you'd like people to find out about or discover, or you know, something they don't know about me? Yeah, or you or your songwriting or your songs. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, is uh, you know, it's the same way with uh, the Daredevils. We had two hit songs. Right. We have twelve albums out. So let me see. There's let me see. Okay, ten, 20, there's a hundred and twenty songs out there, um, and people know two of them. Right. It's the same way with with my career. You know, there's the ode to Mel Bay.
2: Uh-huh. Man,
1: I've got I've got ten or twelve solo albums out, full of what I believe to be quality material. Right. If once people start digging into and delving into my soup de jure records and my soup and the sandwich records, there's a lot of really, really good work that I'm very proud of, and I put a lot of time and effort into it
0: well sure I would so, like for,
1: I would like for them to go and learn about and appreciate uh those songs too
0: well so give me a give me a few of your favorites to start them with.
1: Okay, yes. Uh, there's a song called, uh, let me see, uh, The Pasta Man. Okay. Pasta Man is my Italian reggae uh, piece, uh-huh. and and I, I still play it to this day. Uh, there's a song called, uh, uh, another one that gets a lot of reaction is a song called The Smartest Man in the World.
0: Right, that was the name right. of one
1: of your albums. Yeah, Yeah, so there's that uh-huh. whole batch of songs. Now if you want to get into More Homer and Jethro stuff There's a song I had a, a band down here called Mark and Mike It's a banjo uh-huh. playing friend of mine And there's an album out there called Sing Along with Mark and Mike
0: <laughs>
1: There's a couple songs There's a song on there called Biscuits and Gravy that uh-huh. I'm very very proud of Once again in the Homer and Jethro Style Right uh, That's that's a little bit harder to find but but you can but you can still find it uh-huh and so you know there's you know like i said hundreds of songs that i've done that you know you know people may not be that uh familiar with but once you start looking at them you, on my website soup line if you go there i mean good lord there's there's 12 15 uh different rec albums that I've done that people can uh, ingest.
2: <laughs>
1: and, and, and I'm still, as a matter of fact, I've got a couple of records I'm getting ready to put out new records and I've, and I've got another 10, 15 songs that I'm getting, haven't even recorded yet. Wow. I can't seem to turn the faucet off, Dale.
0: <laughs> well, please don't keep. <laughs> keep, keep coming. <laughs> well, um, and yeah. so you just mentioned soup line. Um yeah. that's spelled as as your nickname is S U P E, not S O U P.
1: And so it's short, I'm short put, for Superman. <laughs>
0: that's why it's
1: spelled S U P E.
0: I'm going to uh, put some links up, but SoupLine.com is S U P E Line.com.
1: S U P E L I N E. Right. supline
0: And so we'll put some links up to everything, and um, really appreciate you coming on and talking to me. Yes.
1: Where where are you living now, man?
0: Um, I am um, – I'm living in Columbia, actually. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, I've got a huge case in Kansas City that I have to go over a lot on, and then I do a lot in St. Louis as well. And then, you know, I still am close enough to come down whenever I need to do something in Springfield. So Oh I'm right, yeah. Yeah, I year. when
1: I get back to Springfield, you know, now that you know that Lou passed.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: And Wonderly passed. Right. You know. Uh there's you know, you know, the Daredevil still get together. As a matter of fact we're going in the studio here in the next few weeks to record some new uh Daredevil songs. Oh, wow. But other, other than that, I don't really have a whole lot of reason to go back to Springfield. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, Lou kind of changed everything, you know. with yes, his he did. Death. I mean, you know, he he was just such, you know, just one of my favorite people. Correct. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. He was the greatest. <laughs> oh, well, man, I tell you what. Hey, uh. Get me a gig up in Columbia, buddy. I'll
0: do it. I'll do it. I'll I'll uh, keep you in mind and and uh um, let's talk again soon. It was nice talking to you.
1: Yeah, you bet, buddy. Hey, and uh All right. call anytime, Dale.
0: All right. See you, man. Bye. All right. More at DaleWileyShow.com.